Hello, and welcome to Growing the Top Line, a podcast where I interview leading executives and CEOs to get their perspectives on growth strategy. My name is Cliff Farah, President and CEO of The Beacon Group, a growth strategy consulting firm. Join us as we dig deeper into the process of, well, growing the top line. Uh, Everyone, I am incredibly pleased to welcome Lynn Dougal uh, to the podcast. Lynn um, was uh, Chief Executive Officer, President and Chair of the Board of Directors at Angility, uh, a provider of highly technical integrated solutions and services to the U.S. government. Uh, She served in that role from 2016 to 2019, and she successfully led the sale of the company to uh, SAIC or uh, Science Applications International Corp in uh, in 2019. Uh, prior to Agility, uh, Ms. Dougal spent more than a decade in senior management positions at Raytheon, which is where we met, uh, and retired from the company in March 2015 as a Raytheon company vice president and as president of Raytheon's Intelligence Information and Services, RIIS uh, business which housed Raytheon's Cyber and Special Operations Division. Before joining Raytheon, she was with ADC Telecommunications in several international and officer-level positions. Uh, Ms. Dougal currently serves on the board of Micron, uh, TE Connecti- uh, Connectivity, and KBR. She's also, uh, most interestingly, most recently, uh, chairman of Zoe Empowers, which I'm very eager to hear a little bit more about, um, and holds a master's degree in uh, business administration from the University of Texas at Dallas, and a bachelor's degree in technical management in Spanish from Purdue University. So, Lynn, welcome. Nice to uh, nice to see you again. Cliff, wonderful uh, to see you. Well, Lynn, so I appreciate you're doing the podcast. The purpose of um, of this growing the top line uh, initiative really is to share the learnings and lessons that senior leaders around the globe have have developed over their careers with either up and coming practitioners uh, in the in the craft of strategy development or with other senior execs who would benefit as they grapple with things that they're um, you know uh, working hard to drive. So I, I, I kind of like to start off everything with a bit of a, a background discussion. But before we do that, I know this is near and dear to your heart. Can you talk a little bit about Zoe Empowers? Cliff, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Um, Zoe Empowers is really a unique empowerment uh, model uh, that has been operating in Africa for about a decade. And what's truly unique is through time, um, you know, we learned that placing orphans in an orphanage Um, giving them food, clothing, even though they got wonderful education, when we tried to bring them back into the community, we were, we were failing. And uh, the, the graduates, if you will, of the orphanage um, weren't successful adults. And so Zoe Empowers does the opposite. We take youth that are disenfranchised and at the very edge of society, sometimes stealing from farmers, but very much um, not a part of their community, and we bring them deeper into the community, uh, make sure that we train them in skills that they can actually use, um, and we take them from being people, um, and this is what to me makes it empowerment, is you take someone who has always been really at the edge, 
And now they come into the society and they're raised up and they're respected and they're a valued member of their community. And guess what then happens? After 10 years, we know those individuals reach out and help other orphans in their community as well. It's a powerful model. uh, And we, um, you know, I'm never the optimist. And I (laughs) honestly think, you know, if we can rapidly deploy this model, we can change the face of the African continent in 20, 25 years. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I love hearing about that because um, in our worlds, um, oftentimes we worry a lot about fiduciary responsibility and the value of a share and making profit. And uh, I'm always thrilled when I get opportunities or when I hear about people who are taking the opportunity to parlay what they've learned in the corporate world for a more philanthropic or I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's not exactly philanthropy. It's just uh, curative almost. Um, application of their skills. So I, I think that's fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about your story. Um, you are one of the most successful female uh, corporate leaders in the world uh, today. I mean, clearly, I know it's probably a, a heavy uh, mantle to wear, but I, I, I always <laughs> think it's good for people to hear how that happened, right? It's, it's not some magical thing. It's just, you know, there are some people that it, it happens to. Can you talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Well, you know, I always say, um, when people ask me that question, I say, well, you know, dumb luck and God's good grace, uh, <laughs> because there is a lot to be said uh, for being at the right place at the right time. Uh, really, my story is I grew up in the Midwest, a uh, very much conservative Christian home. Uh, yep. It was, you know, uh, nose down, you know, do the work. Uh, and um, and it really just served me well. Uh, as I noted in your book, uh, like many others, I started working quite young. Uh, different uh, jobs. uh, And um, it really just, I think. uh, What was your first job? It's a funny learning, right? Like I did not, uh, I think Marty Curran was the one who threw the flag on that, uh, that that Corning had had done this big study to figure out what made people successful. And that that early young entrepreneurial kind of work ethic was material, some metric and indicator, right? So what, uh, what was your first job? My first job was like a lot of young women in my day was um, babysitting, but I added another layer and offered uh, if the parents wanted me to do arts and crafts with their kids, I had a little package they could buy. I love it. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. So, you know, it was craft as a service. I, you know, funny, a total a funny anecdote. I, I moved uh, into our uh, house and literally we had just moved into our house and we were unpacking with two little kids and the doorbell rang and there were these two young, I want to say young, they were probably like 10 or 11 uh, year old twins, girls at my door and they were our neighbors, hadn't met them before. One of them handed me a card for pet sitting. The other one handed me <laughs> Card for babysitting. They had their own, <laughs> and they're and they're and they're both growing stars at Amazon today. So I um, I just love I love. I and love you're it. not surprised, are you? No, you knew not at all. You oh no, no, yeah. I I I really kind of like the idea of buying futures in people. I'd I'd invest in their, in their, in their futures <laughs> if, if I could. Um. So okay. So uh. So you, you have quite an education. You went to college. How did you choose what you wanted to study? You know, I um, I was financing my education, and so yeah. I was very focused 
I went thinking I would be a Spanish teacher. And then I ran the economics on that and decided <laughs> I would be um, more of an industrial engineer, um, which would feed my uh, travel addiction. So I had to balance, you know, all of that out. And one great thing about, I think, growing up in the Midwest is it really grounds you on, you know, making sure um, that you have your life priorities um, set instead of just your work priorities. So yeah. whenever I talk to, you know, whether it's, you know, people early in their career or mid-career, I say, you'll never be disappointed in your life, right? You yeah. might be disappointed in your work, um, but if you got that pyramid correct, um, you are going to be very satisfied and, and, and happy. And mm. um, so I, I think, the, the Midwest does that for you. It's it's what's most important in your life. And it's the proverbial, what would you like people to remember about you? Uh, and that's rarely a job title. Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, as we talked before we started this, I have uh, two kids in college and I, I was stunned at how pre-engineered colleges expected you know, my kids to uh, you know be with respect to what they wanted to do with their lives. Right. How the hell do you know what you want to do with your life when you're in high school? Right? You don't. You shouldn't know, right? I, I, <laughs> you should. You should know. You should know what you like and what you don't like, but you shouldn't know what you're going to do for a career. Uh, so you graduated school, and what was your first? Where, where did you go? And and kind of how was that corporate um, travel for you? You know, um, I started at what I still think is one of the best companies in the world. I was a manufacturing engineer uh, for Texas Instruments. So it was uh, at the time they were recruiting hundreds of engineers. This was in the 80s. Um, and we were all relocating from all over the country. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm not a big TI stockholder. So this isn't a commercial. Right, right. But really, um, it was so uh, formative for, for the way I learned to be a leader and, mm. you know, the people that were our role models. And when you think back, you know, I was going to work, you know, mid 80s. And at that time, you know, it was about open door. You know, you could go to any meeting. Um, by the time, uh, you know, we had in our business unit 12 vice presidents. Um, by the time I, uh, they actually sold the uh, my part of the, the company to someone else, there were three female. Uh, VPs, um, yeah. and we were um, business leaders, technical leaders, um, you know, not the proverbial communications and HR leaders. So right. I really, I had my first diversity and micro, uh, you know, um, class uh, in in early 90s. And so they were just progressive. They were really um, all about bringing out the best in the teams and the people. Yeah. And then, of course, we were the defense part and really connected us with the mission and the purpose of the work that we were doing. Every Everyone I know who worked at TI loved it. Like just almost I identical feedback on the development and, and um, uh, opportunity to really get a good foundation in the craft. Now, uh, as a total aside, uh, do you know James Klein? Does that name ring a bell for you, James Klein? It he does. Was, he, but I, he was at TI with you, and then he went to SAS. 
because uh, he's in the book as well, isn't he's he? He's in the book as well, yes. And because then he went on. when I read that, I thought, James Klein, James Klein, yep. it sounds so familiar, but I yep. couldn't, I didn't get the chance to go out to LinkedIn to see, see if the face would trigger, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he literally, when we talked, you know, he brought up TI and how formative it was as he learned his craft. Um, so you started at TI, how and you and uh, you were acquired, you were on the defense side and you were acquired. How did you decide? Let's talk about defense for a second. For me, anyway, as I was coming up, I look at the number of women in senior executive positions in defense, and it seems counterintuitive, right? From the outside, you don't in yeah. intuitively think, but the reality is uh, that's probably one of the most uh, industries most proliferated with women as leaders in the organizations. How did you choose defense? You know, I really. <laughs> Not to, I think defense chose me. When, okay. when I graduated, um, I wanted to take six months off uh, and go on this semester at sea, go around the world on a boat. Oh, wow. And at the time, uh, the, the economy wasn't that great. And there weren't a lot of companies that said, gee, go ahead. And, you know, they said, talk to me when you get back. And Texas Instruments said, fine. You know, we'll hold a job for you. So did I you went, did you go? I did go. Yes. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> and it was it was great. So I I came back and I you know that was the job opening that they had manufacturing engineer. Yeah. Uh, because my trade was they didn't tell me exactly what job I would have. They said I'd have an engineering position, but it could have been in semiconductors. It could have been in calculators. So I started there. Um, and um, I did connect with the the mission, um, but after about, I guess about 12, 10, 12 years, um, the company decided, as many companies do, that, you know, the defense group, we were going to try to commercialize some of our technology. Ah. And so uh, th there began uh, one of many experiments, not failures, experiments. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I went across uh, to be a general manager of a very small business. It was like $20 million a year. And it was using speech recognition uh, technology, right, for hands-free dialing. And so all of us nerdy engineers said, oh, my gosh, look at the data of car wrecks yeah. and distracted driving. I'm sure we're going to have a nationwide mandate for hands-free dialing, and we're going to be right there in the middle of it. And of course, you know, it, there's a lot of different ways to make mistakes. This was clearly a mistiming on the market. Yes. That, <laughs> and that was in '95. You know, yeah. and it took like whatever twenty some years. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so then I was in telecom, and so when uh, the defense group was sold off. I decided um, to go to stay with telecom. I really okay. liked the faster pace, the commercial models, right. uh, you know, kind of the mental puzzles on pricing and customers right. and, you know, next features and all of those things, which really in defense, you're spoon fed that by your customer. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, so what did you do? I, I have some I have some funny uh, telecom story because I've, I've spent a lot of my career in the comms industry and I sort of I did the inverse, my big fail, I, I talk about I, I talk about a lot what we did right, but my one big fail was texting. I couldn't understand how in the hell anybody would ever want to hit the number two, three times to make a statement. 
and then put her on a flip phone. You know, I just, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, what what uh, what was your role in the comms industry? You know, I I joined. I was um, I went to corporate uh, and as their quality vice president. And about three months later, I was drafted to go into one of the business units. So I ran some cable and and uh, company type stuff. Um, then uh, I did that for a couple of years. But I was there. I'm not sure when you were predominantly getting your feet wet in telecom. But, uh -huh. you know, I got to telecom. You know, we had been like going straight up, you know, right. over building networks. Mobile was just oh, yeah. hot. And then we made a U-turn and we came yeah. plummeting down. Yeah. And so what ended up, and it was incredibly um, energizing work, but what my job became is they would put me into um, divisions that were struggling. Um, all of them had been acquisitions. So when we had more money than cents, we bought 27 different companies in seven years oh, we wow. didn't integrate them we didn't optimize them and and really the original value proposition was not well thought out did not have been doing that much inorganically so my job was i would drop in get to know the team see where our strengths were optimize the financial model offboard product whatever we needed to do to make it um sellable if you will and the reason I got that, the the first job I didn't know was going to be a sale. And so I they dropped me in in Connecticut, you know, a small group, about a thousand people. Um, our CEO at the time said, Lynn, you know, if you can do these three things, I'm going to give you $25 million to create the next generation product. So this would have been, you talk about early products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, cable streaming delivery. We called it yep. GG6000, right? And so um, it was a heartbreaker for me, Cliff, because I went in there. I, I mean, that team I had, we had to make some tweaks, but they were all in. And we worked and we worked and we worked. And what he gave us two years to do, we got done in 17 months. Wow. And... Um, it was a really bad day. It's one of only two times I've ever, you know, cried at work was we got a new CEO and he said, I don't want anything to do with cable. Oh We're going to shut this division down. And after having seen people come together and work so hard, um, I just was sick to my stomach. Yeah. And I, I went back to him and I, I said, you know, give me 60 days to sell it. And he said, there's no way you can do it. You can't do it That's, that way. That was a pretty short window, yeah. And so, um, and he was, uh, he was a, had come from AT&T and he had quite a high opinion of himself. And, and he <laughs> said, um, and I said, but here's the deal. If we sell it in, you know, 60 days, I want everybody on my leadership team to get a bonus, the equal of one year salary. And he, so he said very cavalierly, fine you know he didn't even you know what I mean he didn't run any calculation he had yeah. no idea and I'll be doggone if that same team uh didn't get back on the horse you know and run a different race and we actually sold uh 63 days later 
uh, and the CEO was generous enough to honor really the intent. Uh, and so, and so that became my job. I did that three more times. Uh, but after five years uh, and five geographic moves, uh, my husband said, you know, at some point, <laughs> we're going to need to keep our kids in school for more than right. a year. Right, right. And so, it, and this is just how life is, right? You you might know Colin Shotlander from yeah. TI. Yeah. So I was actually working in Australia, and there was an email from the old TI people um, that somehow made its way to me in Australia. And... Um, Anyways, we reconnected and he was sharing that he had a huge business challenge and he wanted me to come back and be his VP of engineering. And I swore I would never go back to the defense world uh, just because I liked the commercial world. But it really, it was one, one of those times where life really is taking care of you, <laughs> you know, because we came back and uh, I never thought I'd worked for Raytheon, a very... Right. Um, hierarchical, very, you know, Northeast kind of status kind of company after working in telecom and TI. Um, but it was a wonderful opportunity to, you know, assist a colleague that I had a, a, the world of respect for. And, and then it just turned out that, um, you know, I went on to lead the intelligence and the information system and training uh, group as a president. And by the way, you you're pretty famous for the turnaround you did there. Like you may or may not know, <laughs> that, but but you know, the, the 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 hallway chatter. Like you made your mark right away in that group. And in particular, I think I believe you you did a trip to go meet your customers in Iraq. Right. You know, I went twice with Gene. That was when yeah. I was the VP of engineering. Yeah. Um, and I begged him for months and he wouldn't do it. And I so finally I said, OK, why not? He said, because you're a woman and you're the mother of two small children. And I said, Gene, you know, you can't say that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we made a deal that if I went on the Clemson engineering board, <laughs> 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 he would take me to, to Iraq <laughs> and he did God bless him and and so he he and I were uh, chatting and and um, uh, he he brought that up to me and and you know I think it's interesting one of the one of the truths of business and we talk a little bit about it in the book but we certainly practice it at the firm is that you know voice of customer is super important right that as you as you think about strategy and building strategy and successfully executing, you have to meet the needs or surpass the needs of the customer. And there are a whole bunch of different ways you do that, right? As an executive, and it depends on the roles and how senior you are and how big a footprint you have to cover. I always like to hear about execs that cut through, you know, the 15 different layers of analyst community and, you know, their market research arm and they, and they just go and talk with the customers, right? Or they go and, and, and they meet with their teams and they see what their teams are up to. So I think I think that's um, that's fantastic. You know, and it's it, you know I used to always tell you know anybody who cared to listen you know a good day for me uh, as a corporate leader was spending time with customers and spending time with employees. Yeah. Everything else kind of put in the necessary but not inspiring bucket for right, me. Right. Right. Um, yeah. No, totally agree. But, 
but that trip to Iraq is the perfect example of what you were saying, Cliff, because we had created under Gene Blackwell's leadership a really interesting um, surveillance system, right, that was developed for urban, right? So we had cameras up and we wanted to tip and cue. So if we had some, an individual or a car, you know, going through, we could tip and cue to the next camera. We installed this and it was, you know, we were trying to get everything calibrated and, you know, but then it's up and all of a sudden we're getting these glorious, you know, emails about it's the best, we use it all the time. And so we think they're using it to tip and cue and follow people. You go over there and we saw it in Iraq and you're looking at a computer and it has all these little tiny squares. They're not following. Not you even. <laughs> no. And you know why they loved it? They could geolocate, right? Yeah. For the first time. Yeah. And so if you don't go and see and experience and listen, right? you're gonna, you know, we could have, <laughs> we had convinced ourselves. We had the premier, you know, urban surveillance system and we had a geolocation and that was it. So. It's, yeah. So Lynn, how big was IIS? I think it, I think it was reported, so I, we can talk about that. But in terms of scale, uh, revenues, how big was IIS when you ran it or employees? Just something to give the listener a sense of scale. So um, the first group president, I was about $3 billion, And then the company merged uh, and we went to $6 billion. So we yeah. had four um, uh, Raytheon businesses at the time and all about equal size. You know, I, I think 20,000 people. Um, but what was most interesting about doing that at Raytheon, Cliff, really, was they're a, um, they're a hardware producer, right. an embedded software, right? And yep. so everything about the company was really optimized around yeah. hardware and we're talking right. patriot missile systems radars with elevators in them right. and so on right. yeah and then here we are a software so we're developing massive software uh to uh um you know task and process satellites right so millions and millions of lines of code we're doing right. service training and so forth and so we always kind of kidded ourselves that we were the redheaded stepchild, right? Because he would run up, and you'll appreciate this because I know you hate bureaucracy. And yeah, I do. Instead of results. And, uh, you know, so we were selling some insider threat software. You know, it was basically sh shrink wrapped with a little right. bit of installation fee. And we had to go through the same process to sell outside of the United States as if we were building, you know, a $3 billion radar. <laughs> and you can kind of yeah. see where that might crimp oh, yeah. your business model. <laughs> it's, 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 it's unbelievable to me as I, and I've been doing this now 30 years, right? So I say it's unbelievable to me. I'm still incredulous, right? It's been, I've experienced it enough times in my life that I'm still like, I, I nod my head. I'm like, yep, yeah, it happened again, but I'm still just stunned that it happened. <laughs> Which is stuff like, you know, either process or requirements or installed systems precluding good behavior, right? Like like operations, operations should support the practice of good business for your clients, to the benefit <laughs> of your clients, right? And there's this uh, there's this really cool um, phrase that's emerging like in the retail world 
that applies to anything enterprise too, right? But it's called like frictionless retail. How do you make it really, really easy for people to buy stuff? And so, so now there are certain markets around the globe where you just pick the product up, you walk in the store, you take what you want and you walk out and you're automatically billed. There's no theft. They know what you took. You know, maybe they're tracking what it is so they can prompt you when you come in next time. But uh, that's, that's frictionless. When you get into large scale enterprise, you might find an accounting system that can't recognize revenues of a certain type, right? Yeah. Consulting service. So, so you're selling shrink wrap software, but how much were you giving away in services that you could have monetized, um, but the system just didn't allow it. And now, oh, whoa, we're in the as a service world. So take anything. So first, one of the actually probably in your domain, you were on, you were in the front front line of this stuff. But like fee for service ISR. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, selling a drone or selling a drone to the military, just a couple of retired Air Force guys with a plane that they bought at a scrapyard with a camera doing manned missions on an hourly rate. That's that kind of stuff, uh, uh, you know, at the time was transformative, but it was a precursor to, to this shift yeah. uh, that I think we're seeing everywhere to as a service. Um, you ran this massive business. You ran it well. You turned it around. You made it scale. And then you went on to Agility. Tell me about that. You know, I I didn't go directly. Um, I retired. I I told myself I I had um, you know, and I'm a big believer. You know, every job there's parts that gives you energy and takes energy, right? And and nothing's perfect. Right. But I always. Um, My job's like, My job's perfect. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> yeah, every day is just <laughs> butterflies and <laughs> it is it is <laughs> it is well you know what i might i might believe that uh, cuz you're not in a massive uh, you know <laughs> corporation yeah. and you're in control so that works but i had decided i i realized and i i had always i just guess befuddled by people that complained about their job and they yeah. just seemed unhappy. And it's, you know, you're sitting there looking at them like, this is not indentured servitude, right? If you don't like this more right. days than not, yep. you know. And I really, when I had been a president for about five years, I found myself being unusually critical. You know, like, did I really want to do another 12 operation reviews with an 87-page chart deck, three of which you only, you know, and I found my attitude flagging, and I knew at that point, you know, I have really given as much, and I'm a big believer in you move every three, the higher up you go, but no more than five years. I think you've given 95% of what you can. If yep. you've done your job in succession, you need to step, you know, onto the next thing. Right. So that's that was kind of my plan, and it came together, and I was going to then go spend more time in Africa. Okay. And traveling and volunteering and i wanted to get out of the check writing mode and into kind of the i guess both check writing right. and rolling up your sleeve right. uh, but i wanted to um you know i do have a heart you know for our men and women and you know in uniform and our intel i spent the last five years uh with the intelligence agencies right. and the work they do right so I went on to a board and my first board meeting was uh, was to announce that um, it was a private equity firm. They were selling the company to another firm. And I thought, wow, this this is like the shortest directorship ever. You know? As it happened, um, the board that I had just started um, 
they picked uh, uh, four of us to go on to this bigger board. And it was a smaller company. So we were about a billion. The company that bought us was about a billion. And and we merged. They were a, a public company. So that sure. was our, our way um, to, uh, to go public. Um, and it was interesting. And I enjoyed it. And it was great. Um, and so I was on the board for about a year. Uh, and and my I thought, you know how every time you think this plan is just going just exactly how you wanted it. I went yeah. with my daughter to India for a month to do volunteer work. And, you know, it was just coming together. Um, we got into a situation in this company where uh, we had decided, well, we were debating in the boardroom. We knew we needed a change in the CEO. Um, some of us thought we could maybe take some internal candidates and with kind of getting around them, um, you know what I mean? We could sure. get where we needed to be. Others just thought, no, that's not going to work. And so we got into that mode. <laughs> I'm sure you see this where it was a circular conversation. You know, and we just kept repeating the same things we had already said. Sure. And, you know, I had drank too many Diet Cokes, so I excused myself for a bio break. And when I came back, everybody had this smug kind of look on their face, and I knew I had missed something. <laughs> and <laughs> anyways, I went from there to being the CEO of Agility. Oh, boy. Um, it was something I never really aspired to be a CEO or a chairman. Uh, that wasn't my life's triangle. That wasn't, you know, sure. uh, on the list. Uh, but it was the best job I ever had. Um, I I went to so many outstanding people that I'd worked with before and just begged them to come, you know, on this grand adventure with me. Um, and again, they, they just did incredible things in a short period of time. We thought it would take us at least probably four to five years to get to a place. You know, we had private equity buyers that bought in at 43. We were, you know, here in the, you know, low, uh, not even teens, you know. So we had a long way to go. Um, but it's just, you know, I heard somebody say once, it always stuck with me, it's like, you know, when you're working with that great group of people, you want to kind of raise the floor on what's acceptable, uh, yep. you know, and you want to raise the ceiling on what is possible. And that's what that team taught me, you know, is you just came in and you just, the whole thing shifted up. And, you know, two and a half years later, we had, had a buyer. So let's talk about the team for a sec. I believe wholeheartedly that, who you go to war with matters, right? And, you know, in your in your career, it sounds like, you know, not surprisingly, you created loyalty as you worked in different groups, uh, different companies. Did you have just a core team you went back to or ultimately was your team a mix of people that you had met throughout your career? How did it work for you? Um, many of them, a lot of them uh, started in Raytheon. Now, many of them had moved to different companies. Not all were still with Raytheon. But it was a mix of the people and the talent that we had in the two companies. Um, 
and then bringing, as, as you can appreciate, you had two companies that were about a billion dollars and getting from there to two, five, 10 billion, that's quite the learning curve. And so I think what was exciting is that all of the things that um, we, we needed to get done, uh, the people I recruited um, had been there and done that. They knew what good looked like. Yep. So as an example, my first hire um, was my HR team leader, right? Because we had, we didn't have a, a, a performance review uh, process. We didn't have professional development. Um, we didn't have, we had like a thousand different job categories. We had no way of knowing if we were being equitable in how we paid because everything was so fragmented. Yeah. And so um, Susan Balliger, God bless her, you know, I actually called her. Uh, and this is another one where love, uh, life was kind to me. I came in and here we are, a defense services business. They told me, um, you know, we've made a job offer um, to someone and, you know, you don't want to come in and like say, you, you know, you did a team interview and not now, but I've read the job description. It was no defense background. Um, anyways, long story short, I, in, you know, I thought I'm going to need to bring this person on board. I don't want my first act as a CEO to reverse a decision made by the team. It turned out I got lucky again. Um, and as I talked to the woman and what I wanted to get accomplished, um, it ended up that she did not want to move uh, to D.C. And I really knew that if I was going to change a culture and do all the work, um, you don't always have to be. In many cases, I wasn't with people uh, that, you know, I worked with or for. Uh, but in this case, I thought it was vital that we were just, you know, elbow to elbow every single sure. day. Sure. And so she um, withdrew her acceptance. And I immediately got on the phone. I called a friend who was at a, a near peer, but much bigger company and yeah. said, Susan, I'd love to talk to you about this, blah, 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 please just. And she said, well, I have a business meeting. I can't get out of in the morning, but I'll be there Friday afternoon. And uh, Monday morning, we had her offer approved through the board. Yeah, that's great. Got her to talk with different people, and so so the adventure began, and it just kept unfolding, and it was a very bittersweet, very bittersweet moment to sell the company. <laughs> oh yeah, I understand. Um, so what's 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 starting to imprint on me just through this conversation is one of the notions that you know there. I say all the time, I say life is organic, right? Like you know, it's not clean, it's not linear. You know, you, you find opportunity, sometimes you make opportunity, but it's, it's you know, the, the, the willingness to um, be sensitive to and react quickly, opportunistically as, as, you know, challenges present and to do it with a team that you trust, right? So be very aware of the environment, uh, be very reactive as you have those opportunities and then, you know, work with, work with a team that, you know, is going to help you get the job right and isn't toxic. Well, one of one of the things I'm most proud about of our firm is we have like zero toxicity in our firm, right? It is the healthiest group of good humans you will ever meet in your life. 
And I am grateful for that, you know, every day. And I can only imagine for you as you got more and more senior, there was that challenge, right? You, you, you don't you don't always get to dictate who your your team is in larger or you inherit a lot in, in larger organizations. So were there any particular things you did, any particular frameworks, any particular approaches you used when you thought about growth for your org? How did you come at that? Well, you know, and Cliff, um, I really, I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed growing the top line because a lot of business books, you know, they, they focus in on leadership or they focus in on strategic planning or they focus in on how to build a great team. Um, but really, you just cut to the bottom, you know, the bottom line <laughs> yeah. is, what are we going to do? And, you know, certainly those of us who've led public companies um, or even your own companies, you you want to grow um, in, in public, right? Return to your shareholders. But there's a real vibrancy in an organization that is growing and it's irreplaceable. Right. Yeah. And so you're moving people, you're stretching people, new people are constantly coming into the organization. Right. Um, and so I like the way um, that you had, and of course, being from an engineering background, right, there's the piece um, that is almost uh, algorithmic, you know, it's, yes. it's here's that the decision tree. Yes. You know, and it's, I and love that was so much fun. To I, write. Like, I mean, in, but the most powerful thing about that or any framework that you're going to use is just what you called out, which is consistency of language, you know, no misunderstanding, uh, you know, people clearly are involved. So there's all these nuances that if you look at leadership, you know, execution, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Larry Bossidy fan. I loved his yeah. execution book. But yeah. I like that growing is that top umbrella, right, yeah. that covers, you know, everything from human capital to, you know, sales and, you know, delivery mechanism, channel to market. Um, and so um, I love your framework. I saw it very early in my career. I probably uh, uh, mentally stole it without <laughs> realizing it. But the one thing that I'll say has really served me well is because I changed jobs, I think I stopped counting, but in like 30, 30 years of working, I think I changed jobs like 21 times, right? Wow. And so in that, it, it really was, how do I um, quickly connect, you know, and try to build some trust and rapport um, with the team? Yeah. And so um, one of the things, I guess this is kind of one of my models, is I, I said to people, um, this is how um, I want all of us to interact, right, in decision making. There'll be, I call it dialogue, debate, and decide. And dialogue is all about what is the potentiality of any yep. circumstance, right? We could invest in A and B and C. And you're just kind of putting down, you know, on a whiteboard or a sheet of paper, you know, potential. Here's what we could do. Then yep. debate is we move to advocacy. I, Lynn Dougal, think, you know, solution one is better than solution four. And, and you know, you, Cliff Ferris, think, no, you know, and, and right. really 
debate in, in the best of senses, right? Which is we self-challenge, we challenge each other, we commit to open-mindedness, you know, and, and you know, don't become entrenched in your own thought. And then we decide. And some decisions are team decisions or majority rules. Some are CEO decisions. But when we decide after having a very fulsome dialogue and debate, yeah. then you, we can talk to each other. You can certainly talk to me if things change or, you're, you know, but we go out as a consolidated front. So there's no ambiguity right. uh, and nobody blinks. Uh, and in, in our teams, our broader teams, see us as a unified, committed front on, on whatever the endeavor is. Um, and that served me well, because when you share that with people, you can, one of my biggest frustrations, and I think yours from reading the book, is the timelines on how long it yep. can take people. And yeah. I think it was, I, I, I got to thinking, it's because, you know, we dialogue, and, and then, you know, instead of moving back, you know, we start to get into the decision-making or the debate process and people go back and go, no, I think maybe we shouldn't have looked at any of those. Maybe, you know, right. so we lose right. the meeting or you get into debate and you think you're close to decide. And then, you know, the next three meetings is Sally Sue or Joe Henry re-debating, right? Yes. Yeah. What we've already done and decided. Yeah. And so that was my, you know, and you could say to people, we're done with the debate. Right. We've had that. Remember last Tuesday and the, you know, Tuesday before that we completed or, yep. you know, when people start debating, you could say, OK, because some people just want to go immediately to advocacy for their idea. Right. You say, no, we're in a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then when you have to have the hard conversations, when people violate the united front, you come in and you say, you know, clearly you don't want to be a part of this team because yep. this is the way we work and you know everybody gets one mistake but that's it um so anyway that's probably the closest i've ever come to any kind of framework if you will nothing right. is sophisticated as, as far as oh no as, as See, what no. Got here, but it's, oh, uh, don't don't go trying to sell that that doesn't work for me i look i know embedded in what you just talked about, there's an awful lot of um, art in that, right? The, as consultants, we, you know, we're trained to sort of walk you through a gate and then lock it behind you so you can't go backwards, right? Yeah. No, 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 it's exactly what you talked about, right? You know, that, that whole process is really, really important to get a group of people on the same page. I also think giving people a chance to be heard on your team, making sure they, realize that you truly understand their point. You don't have to agree with it, but that you get it, you understood the concern, you've been thoughtful about it before you decide. Um, what about consensus in, in strategy development? How do you feel about that? You know, the old, the old uh, saying, consensus never got man to the moon. You ever right. hear that? Yeah. And my personality is, leans probably away from complete consensus for that very reason. Yeah. Um, so, um, I think some things that help is I'm very clear with my team and I always say to people, um, if I've made up my mind, um, I will ask for your support, not your opinion. There you go. And, You're going to steal that. 
I'm stealing. <laughs> so it's, um, so I still like to, you know, if I think something is unique and I think this is where it's a fine line to try to be um, a transformational leader mm. is sometimes in my whole, as my husband say, my whole life has been about fixer uppers. <laughs> And so, you know, to consense with a group that has not been entirely successful is not usually the way to success. Um, and so I think there's room uh, in decision making. Um, if it's not necessarily about the what, but the how, there might be areas there. Um, but in general, I really like the idea of debate and decide and explore um, and then and then there's work afterwards. You know, we owe it to people who didn't get what they wanted, but we know they're a good leader. Now there's people who never, you know, that won't play ball if they don't get what they want. Those people you want to put on another team, right? Yeah. But we owe it to ourselves, uh, you know, in the broader organization when somebody really was convicted and it didn't go their way, we need to go back and listen and say, Look, I understand. Um, you know, I I can relate. I've had many times where I felt that way. So let's just agree. In three months or six months, um, you know, we'll we'll check back on this. And in the meantime, you know, I really need your full support on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. and so there's some work that if because I don't think there is perfect consensus. And you know, I would I would say you know, like a giraffe was a horse designed through consensus. Right. It's like, you know, or, you know, a camel was a horse. Too, yeah. Right? You know? yeah, yeah. So um, anyways, but I think what you said is the most important is that normally people, it's been my very broad experience. Um, when I say to them, you might not agree, but I'll explain to you the why, you know, and the motivation. And I'm going to invite you to to work through you know, and normally people will, they can say, well, Lynn, I, I didn't want to not do that proposal, or I didn't, I didn't want to go to NASA when I, you know, working with the premier intelligence agency. Right. But when you say, really, here's the data, right? Here's our market size. Here's our aspirational growth goals. You know, people can usually come along intellectually, uh, it may take them longer emotionally. Yeah, no, I I, th I think that's totally right. L Lynn, I'm mindful of the time. I I so enjoyed our conversation. I think I learned more about the you know the the ways to turn around an organization and to re-energize an organization towards growth in our discussion than I anticipated, and I I loved that. So I pulled on that thread, and I I I. I I thought you gave some great examples. I'm also thrilled that, you know, you have such a big spot in your heart for Zoe Empowers and the work that you're doing there. And, you know, I just want to say thanks for taking the time and, and sharing everything today. Well, thanks for the book. I really, really enjoyed it. As you can tell, I've got all my highlights and <laughs> the, the dog-eared pages. And anyways, uh, the clip, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing the Top Line. For more information about growth strategies and to learn about our firm, please go to beacongroupconsulting.com. That's B-E-A-C-O-N-G-R-O-U-P consulting.com. 
And if you're interested in the book Growing the Top Line, it's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. 